Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Great seeing everyone here, and it was a blessing to be able to share in the baby dedication. I called my mom and I said, hey, it's your favorite son. She said, oh, Elliot, you sound just like your brother Don. I'm not ever doing that again. So she tells me she's hard of hearing, but I'm not sure I believe it. Anyway, we're excited that you're here. And uh, we're in this series on finding God's plan. And, And we talked two weeks ago about prayer, that you start with that. We talked last week was a hard message because we talked about how God uses brokenness to show us his plan, to teach us about ourselves. And today it's very appropriate. We're going to talk about family and God's plan in the family. And so as we find God's plan, you know, we we seem to be at a point in our culture, we probably have been there quite some time, that there's just seems to be a value vacuum and and that uh, we have become so permissive. Now, some of you like me, I, I was a kid during the 60s when that just, that's, when we really planted some seeds, it seemed like as a country of just anything goes. And ever since then, we've been reaping what we planted. And that's a biblical principle. Whatever you sow, that's what's going to grow. And that's what you're going to harvest. And, and that seems to be what's happened to us. And so our society has become very confused about values. And, um, and like, whose do you adopt? Which one matters? And, and, and we've gotten to that stage where um, I have my values and your job is to acknowledge and even celebrate my values. And if your values are different from mine, you need to just be quiet. And you don't need to express your values are invalid. We even seem to hear that. So I, I want us to look at today that something that God did thousands of years ago when he established the true values and he gave us 10 values for family living. They they were called the 10 commandments and we're going to, we're only going to look at one of them today. We're going to look at the very first one. I, I don't think the order of the 10 commandments is by happenstance. I think there's purpose in the order of the Ten Commandments, and I think it's on design that the number one, the very first one is the one we're going to look at today, because these are not fads, nor are they suggestions, but rather they are commandments, they're values that they show us how God thinks and what God says, and He has the right to say that. He, he created us. He created everything. And, you know, our Ten Commandments that God has given us, they've even, they were part of the bedrock of our Western civilization. They, they were kind of like the foundation for our judicial and law system about between right and wrong. You know, the Ten Commandments are really about the only thing that the Jewish community, the Muslim community, and the Christian community all agree on. All three religions accept the Ten Commandments as commandments from God. So Ephesians 5, 
Let's start laying the foundation. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act faultlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Well, this is kind of the attitude, the atmosphere that we're going to use in today's message. Be careful how you live. Don't be foolish, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because when they're gone, they don't come back. They're, they're done. That day's gone. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. So why, why did God give the Ten Commandments? He, he gave them to us not to hurt us, but to help us. Uh, he used them not to hamper us, but to actually release us. They give us a lot of freedom. He uses them not to punish us, but to protect us. Every commandment in there is for protection of us. And every time God says don't in the Bible, it's always for a positive reason. Always. The negatives that God gives are always for our benefit. And if you ignore them, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. So God, you know, God lined up the universe with universal laws. And it, it took a long time for scientists to understand some of those laws. And my guess is there's still some laws out there that we still don't know about. Because this is a massive universe and we've only got a glimpse of a small speck of it. But God has universal laws and they govern the universe. And if you, you know, he's got, he's got natural laws like the law of gravity. If you ignore that and decide you can jump off a 10-story building and be okay, you're going to get a quick education in about three, four seconds. And if you ignore those laws, you hurt you. You hurt yourself. So God gives us these things. He, he has given us spiritual laws. They're, they're kind of like the tracks we can run on. They're, they're the guide rails to direct our lives. And when we cooperate with God's spiritual laws, then we reap the benefit from that. When we ignore God's spiritual laws, our life gets off track and we hurt ourselves and we hurt our family. I mean, how, how many individuals in, an, in a family can really mess up and it, and it not affect everybody else in the family? Pretty much always affects everybody. So God basically says, if you do these things, you allow me to bless your life. If you don't do these things, you're just going to mess up your life. You and I, I'm telling you, every time I've seen a child who grew up in a family with no boundaries, that child turns into a very insecure adult. Have you ever seen that? A kid whose parents said yes to everything and basically 
didn't want to be bothered. They were too busy living for themselves and they let their child do whatever they wanted. And I want to tell you, the insecurities you find in that kid are unbelievable. It's like having boundaries gives you a sense of security. It, it gives you a sense of safety. Deuteronomy 6. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands, God's laws, that I'm giving you today. Repeat them. Here's the attitude we're to have about these Ten Commandments. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. They need these boundaries. Talk about, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Your kids need to hear from you parents. God's got spiritual laws. And you need to know what they are. Because when you ignore them, your life goes unprotected. And you face the consequences of ignoring these. So today, we're going to look at the foundation for a strong family in the very first commandment. And here it is, Exodus 23. You must not have any other God but me, little g, God. So what's the principle? Here's the principle. Put God first. Put him first in your life. Put him first in your family. God says, I demand top priority. I'm not going to play second fiddle to anything or anybody. I'm your creator. And he has the right to say that. He has a right to demand that. And everything that you have in your life, the Bible says it came from God. Even your abilities, the things that you're able to do, your, your talents, your giftedness, they're all gifts from God. So what does it mean to not have any other God before me? So because it's, I mean, because let's face it, I thought there was only one God. Well, that's true. There's only one God, but there are a lot of little G gods. So a little G God, well, a God, a little G God is anything that dominates your life, anything that controls your life. So can a career be a God? Absolutely. Can another person be a God? In your life? Absolutely. Can golf, hunting, or fishing, good things become a God in your life? Sure they can. You know, that's the amazing thing is God gives us all these fun, great things to do. But we have to make sure they have the right place in our lives. There's nothing wrong with those things until they become God in our life. Until they become the priority of our life. That they, they govern everything else. And they push big G God out of the way. You know, when we see families dropping like flies and marriages falling apart faster than we can put them together. I think often it's because we built things on the wrong foundation. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter how much money you put into it that's going to determine whether it's going to last or not. It's the right foundation that you have. 
That's what matters. So every time God gives a principle, he always gives a promise. So here's the promise is you put God first and here's the principle. He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. So that's one of the great promises of success in the Bible. If you want to be successful, you put God first. When you put God first, he crowns your efforts and he makes, he brings that success with it. And it's not, I'm not talking about the world's definition of success, but if you choose to put God first, God says, I'm going to bless you. You put me first and watch what I do. So here's the question. How do I put God first? If that's the number one command in the Ten Commandments, how do I do it? So let's take the word first. We'll come up with an acronym of five words to help you to remember it. The first one, let's go ahead and start with the most difficult one. Finances. I mean, that's the difficult one, right? Listen to what Proverbs 3 says. Honor the Lord your God with your wealth. And with the first part of everything you produce. Now, if you sit there and go say, well, when I get wealthy, I'll start doing that. <laughs> you know, just the fact that you get to live in this country, you're, you're in this country and our wealth by the world standards, we're all wealthy. If you've been to some of the parts of the world I've been, you guys have been, men and women who have been in military, have been to some of the tough places in the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We are such a wealthy country. And God says, you honor me with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. He said, I'll bless you. When you keep me first in your finances, I will bless you. So here's the cool thing. God owns 100% anyway, right? He owns 100%. And all he says is, I, I want 10%, you get to keep 90%. I own that 90%, but you're gonna, you get to keep that. Here, here's why this is so important. I believe money is one of the number one tests to demonstrate our priorities. It really shows where our priorities are. You know, if, I, um, if you had your checkbook with today or your credit card statement with you today, and I said, go hand that to a stranger that you don't know in the church. Of course, you're not going to do that. But if you did, they, would, they may have never met you. But just by going through your checkbook and through your credit card statement, guess what? They're going to know a lot about your values. They're going to know what matters to you, what's important to you. They're going to know quite a bit about you. How we spend our wealth demonstrates our values. What we say is important. Now, here's a key statement I want you to not forget. Parents, you've got to teach your kids about finances. Teach your kids about finances. I, um, Mary and I, when we started out, 
we made a lot of dumb decisions about finances. And the number number one reason we made dumb decisions about finances is because I thought I already knew everything. Remember when you're young and you got married, you already know everything. And so I didn't seek wise counsel. I didn't seek other people's opinions. And we made some dumb decisions. And uh, when it got fixed was when I gave Mary the checkbook. <laughs> She actually was far more gifted in being able to manage our money than I was. And I had to let that male ego loose. I had to stick that aside and say, my wife's a lot smarter about money than I am, so I need to let her run this. And man, it's been amazing ever since. She actually knows what she's doing. And, but here was the deal. We said to ourselves, <clears throat> we don't want our kids to go through the same dumbness that we went through. So we're going to teach our kids about finances and we're going to make sure they understand biblical principles. So we started teaching them at a young age about giving, about tithing, about saving. And, uh, and then when they, when they started getting the end of middle school, starting to get into high school, we really changed. We really had a game changer. We, we said, okay, we're going to start giving you a really sizable allowance once a month. The reason we did it once a month was because we wanted them to have to manage money over a 30-day period. So it was a pretty big chunk of money they would get, but out of that money, they had to buy all their clothes. They had to put gas in their cars. They had to pay for going out with their friends. They had to, uh, they had to pay for everything, except when we went out to eat as a family, they didn't have to pay for that, but that was about it. They had to pay for everything. If they were going to go on a trip, if they were going to go on a youth event, they had to pay for it. The first month, man, that money was gone just like that. And they went out and bought everything they'd been wanting. And so near the end of that first month, one of my kids came to me and said, Hey, me and some friends are going to a movie. Uh, can I borrow some money? And I said, Nope. They said, Really? I said, Yep, really. They said, well, how about if I get an advance on next month? I said, no, nope, doesn't work that way. So you're telling me I can't go to the movies? I said, no, you decided you're not going to the movies because you didn't plan for it. You didn't save for it. So we, we had two rules. You got you to tithe 10%. You got to save 10%. That other 80%, it's yours to manage. Man, month number two, everything changed. Man, they started getting serious about it. They started planning out how they were going to spend their money. They started looking for sales. And if it wasn't on sale, they didn't buy it. And even today, my kids, they still don't buy things unless they're on sale. And it's just amazing to watch that and see that happen. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm happy for them. I'm excited for them. My son discovered he could buy vintage t-shirts at Goodwill for a dollar. And so he had all these really cool vintage T-shirts, you know, with low slogans and uh, products on it that just weren't available anymore. <clears throat> and he'd wear them at school and his friends come up and say, that's the coolest T-shirt I've seen. Where did you get it? He said, I'm not telling. And uh, he, he would not tell anybody where he was getting them. And he would just go and buy them all up for a dollar. So it's amazing when they started realizing, and then at the, end of, at the end of the month, they always had money left over. So we wanted them to learn from our mistakes. So parents, teach your kids about finances. 
Now listen to what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 14. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place your Lord chooses for his name to be honored. I mean, he told us on the first day, which is our day of worship. Let me skip to 1 Corinthians 16. It says on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. The reason we do it on Sunday is because it's a day of worship and giving is part of worship. It's a moment of worship. When we tithe, we're worshiping God. And you see, we're telling God he's the most important one in our life. Now, third, second thing. First, finances. Second is interest. I for interest. If God's really going to be number one in your life, you've got to put him number one in your interest. And everybody has different interests. I, what I'm talking about is your fun times, your play time, your amusements, your recreation, your hobbies, your pastimes. First Corinthians tells us plainly, he says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, <coughs> that includes hobbies, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Does that mean I can play golf and go fishing for the glory of God? Absolutely. That mean I can go on vacation for the glory of God? Absolutely. That means I can eat for the glory of God? Until a certain point. <laughs> so how do you do that? How do you put God first in front of your life? Well, I, I think one is your attitude of gratitude. <clears throat> You're thankful. You know, thank you, Lord, that you provide the resources that we can go on this really nice vacation. Learn to use your hobbies as a way to minister to people. Invite somebody to go along with you that maybe they couldn't afford to do it themselves. Or it gives you extended time just to hang out with them and influence them and speak into their life. Or just be their friend. Invite people that just needs a friend. Or someone that you can start mentoring. Use your hobbies, use your interest as a way to minister to other people. That's putting God first. That allows God to bless you as you bless others. Number three, R for relationships. If you want to put God first, <clears throat> if you're going to have, you're going to have to choose your friends carefully. Parents, when it comes to your kids, you've got to teach them about friendships. Proverbs are great at that. When Mac and I went on a two-week-long trip, we had a blast. But every night when we were just kind of resting and getting ready for bed, we studied Proverbs because it would teach him a lot about friendships. One of the verses we studied was Proverbs 13, 20. <clears throat> it says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Is that still true today? <laughs> Absolutely. So why is that? Why does who my friends are have to do with God being first in my life? 
because you tend to become like the people you hang out with. You spend time with people who take God seriously, you'll take God even more seriously. If you hang out with people who take God lightly, even your Christian friends that just kind of give God a nod every once in a while, you'll begin to not take God so seriously. If you hang out with people that just hate the things of God, it's going to affect you. Parents, this is why we made sure our house was always the place our kids wanted to hang out with their friends. So we could see who their friends were, for one thing. Every, every time I made a bad decision about a friend, it cost me. You got to choose your relationships correctly. If you're serious about building strong values in your kids' lives, you got to know who their friends are. You probably need to know who their parents are. You know, that's why I love our life groups. <clears throat> that's the way you can get to know people very well. <clears throat> Look at Proverbs 12, 26. The godly give good advice to their friends. <clears throat> the wicked, the wicked lead them astray. I've got to be cautious. The truth is, if you really want God to be first in your life, there's some relationships that you might be in that are just dead wrong for you. Even if you like them so much, if they're pulling you away, they're dead wrong for you. I've seen too many times a dynamic young Christian wooed away from his faith by a friend or someone they were dating. That's why we tell our students when they head off to college, which is going to be coming up in a couple of months for some of them, we always talk about choosing your friends carefully. Fourth, schedule. Proverbs again, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That sounds like a schedule to me. I need to seek God in my schedule, my to-do list. So how do I put God first? Well, I ask him. I ask him to help me use my time wisely. I have a to-do list, but I make sure it's his to-do list. You know, if you have a to-do list that you cannot finish, what that means is you've got things on there you have no business doing, even good things. And here's why I'm saying that. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a to-do to list for you. And he is giving you the, the amount of time that you need to do that. If you have things you're not able to do because you don't have time, then you've got things on your list. And I'm not talking about just if you're mismanaging your time, that's a whole nother story. But if you never can get to all of your list, that means you've got things on there that have no business being there because you will always have time to do God's list for your life. And if you're still breathing and your heart's still beating, God still has a to-do list for you. And when you complete his list, his purpose for you, 
That's when he's going to take you home because you have finished the race he laid out for your life. Even Jesus had the need for daily prayer. And sometimes his choices didn't make a lot of sense. Like when his friend Lazarus got real sick and was close to death and word got to Jesus, your, your friend Lazarus is, is about to die. You need to come and, and heal him. And instead of going that way, Jesus told his disciples, come on, we're going to go that way. What kind of friend is that? But Jesus understood God's to-do list. And God had put on that list, you're going to raise Lazarus from the dead to prove, who, to prove to everybody who you really are. And so Jesus was on God's timetable, not the sisters, not his disciples who were questioning this. He was on God's timetable. The last one. How do you put God first? How do you find God's plan in trouble? When troubles hit. And it's going to hit, right? You're going to have days of troubles. It's just part of life. Psalms 50 says, Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. Hmm. So God allows troubles. In fact, we learned last week about brokenness that he even orchestrates troubles to grow our faith, to let us see him rescue us, to bring glory to his name. God allows it. So I... I can choose to join in on God's plan and put him first. Jesus put it this way. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And that includes troubles. Live righteously by God's standards. And God, big G God, will give you everything you need. That includes troubles. He will give you everything you need to get through that trouble. <clears throat> when you face unexpected problems and pressures, when you have a crisis, why do sometimes we turn to God as the last resort? Instead of the very first thing. The very first prayer should be, God, I didn't know this was going to happen, but you did. You might have even orchestrated it. So let me learn well. Walk me through this. Get me through this. So that you can be glorified. Now that's a prayer God will respond to. And I want to tell you about family. If your kids are old enough, I'm not talking about when they're really small and young and cannot handle and should not have to handle hard things. If your kids are old enough, you need to be open with them about the troubles. 
I, I've known guys to do this in this church family, and, to, and it was a real teaching moment. I mean, what a great opportunity to teach your kids about the things of God when you're in the midst of a problem. You sit down with the family, and you sit down with the kids, and you say, hey, dad lost his job today. But you know what? We're not, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray as a family. And we're just going to see what God does. What a great opportunity to teach about God and his principles. And how to put God first. What a great teaching moment with your kids. I I can teach more to my kids out of my failures than I can out of my successes. I remember one time I was going through a real hard time and my son uh, called me. He said, hey, uh, so tell me how you're holding up. I said, oh, I'm great. I'm doing fine. He said, why don't you just be honest with me? <laughs> why don't you just tell me? Don't, don't give me that preacher answer. So I'll know how to pray for you. Hmm. See, I thought I was protecting my son from my thing that I was going through when he wanted to minister to me and bless me. You know, um, I think what I want to do during this invitation time, some of you, we have a lot of kids here. We, we have grown kids. You got your parents here, your mom here for Mother's Day. I want to invite the children in our church during the invitation. And if you're sitting somewhere else from your family, I want you to make your way over. You know, if you're a young person, some of the other young kids, go stand with your parents and you pray for them. I want the children in our church to pray for their parents. And it doesn't matter how young you are. God loves the prayers of little kids. And so I want you to let your kids pray for you. And kids, if if you don't know what to pray, just say, just thank God for your parents. Ask God to bless your parents. Just thank him for giving you your parents. And if you're an older child with your parent here, you'll know what to pray. So let's, let's stand together. And if your parent is here and you're not with them, make your way to your parent right now. But kids, children, adult children, gather around your parents and you pray for them. This will be a special tender moment. A special tender moment. If your parents not here, you call them. Call them later today and ask them if you can pray for them over the phone. <clears throat>